good. Thank you. Bless you. That's good. You may be seated. While you're being seated, I'll just lead in prayer here. I usually have you stand, but you've been standing for a few minutes. So, Lord, I just thank you this this afternoon, this morning, late after, late morning, early afternoon, we're going to be in. It's a moment when we're here to hear your voice speak into our specific lives. I pray that each of us will hear you individually, but we'll also hear you collectively, that we will respond to your call to draw near to you. Lord, we've already read in Psalm 105 that you're asking us to seek you at all times that our face should be turned towards you, that our, that our hope is in you and in you alone, Father. And amidst all of the trial, the testings, the challenges, the difficulties that life bring our way, help us not to faint, help us not to despair, help us not to give up, help us, O oh God, to find hope and strength in you, and Lord, to find joy in the midst of whatever comes our way, Lord. May we truly give thanks for everything, not because of those things, not for those things, but in those things, we're still able to rejoice and thank you because you are a loving and good God. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. It's a New Testament little letter, four chapters long. We're going to be in the first chapter. We're only going to look at three or four verses this morning. Henry Nouwen once wrote, he said, there is a nagging sense that there are unfinished tasks, unfulfilled promises, and unrealized proposals in our life. In other words, there's just always something else we should have remembered, said, or did. How many ever feel like, you know what, I just don't have enough time in the day. There's just so many things I could be doing. And there's so many demands on our lives. How many think, feel like this is a very intense time to be living in. I don't think there's ever been a time in history, especially uh, in in a very technological culture where there's so much coming at us. True? And so many expectations and so many people asking for our time or resources, just everything. There's just this huge demand. And and though we're very busy, we also have this this kind of this, uh, well, are we moving? No. Oh, there we go. Oh, good. We have this lingering feeling of never really fulfilling our obligations. Kind of a nagging sense of being unfulfilled is kind of underlying what now one says is our fulfilled life. But I would say it's our demanding, busy life. There just seems to be, no matter how much we do, it doesn't necessarily quiet the unrest within us. And though we're, we're, we're um, at the end of the day, we, can, we cannot measure up. And we cannot not disappoint others. How many have ever discovered that? No matter your best effort, somebody's going to be feeling like you let them down. It's easy to let people down, isn't it? The expectations are so high and, and uh, we struggle sometimes to meet those needs. And generally the fault is not that we're not sincere or we don't put in the effort. The fault is that we're simply human. And I've noticed that in our culture today, we want to be more than human. Everybody wants to be a superstar. Everybody wants to win the Olympic gold. Everybody, you know, you know, and we're all told that it's possible to live out our greatest dreams and there's no ceiling and we get all of these great possibility thinkers and communicators and inspirers that can tell us that we can do anything we ever wanted or dreamed we ever thought we could do. And the reality is that's not quite true. 
Because in this room, God designed each one of us differently. He has a different game plan for our lives. We have different skill sets, different abilities. We have strengths, and we also have limitations. And we really struggle with limitation. Do we not? We struggle with being human. We do. We want to be God. Isn't that the ultimate temptation in the garden that, you know, the the serpent came to the woman and said, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. That's the great temptation. We want to be our own boss. We want to do our thing. And yet we know deep down inside there's feelings of inferiority or maybe insecurity, inadequacy. The apostle Paul, that great apostle, that amazing thinker, writer, preacher, communicator, church builder. You know what he said? Who is sufficient for these things? If a man with that much talent felt that way, we need to understand something that you and I at moments are going to feel we're not up to the task. We're not up to what God is asking us to do. We feel like we're incapable at times. We feel a little bit like clay. We're human. Now why is that important to us? Because I think when we deny our humanity, we deny something very fundamental about our lives. And what I'm getting at is, then we don't feel a deep need for Almighty God. To be human is to be inadequate by definition. Only God is adequate. Only God is fully adequate. And now one goes on to say, this should bring about a humility to us and ultimately bring us to prayer. The fact that we don't pray says we don't see our humanity. We don't feel our inadequacy. Or if we do, we're trying to cope in some other way. We're trying to make it up some other other means of doing it, however that is. Working harder or escaping from life or whatever we do. But the reality is this sense of insufficiency, this sense of inadequacy is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because it helps you and I realize our need for God. And we need to be reminded of that. But we can't just stop there with our need before God. Our praying needs to be enlarged until we begin to pray for those around us who are struggling with what it means to be human, struggling with issues that all of us experience at one time or another. For us to enter into true community, it means that I have to move beyond myself. I have to hear the heart cry of other people. I need to learn to weep with those that are weeping. And I need to learn how to rejoice with those who are experiencing blessing and joy without feeling envy. Amen? To really be in community, that's a powerful thing. And there's a strength in being involved in community. So today, what I'm going to speak on, really, the title of this message is Praying With and For Others. Now, Jesus teaches us about prayer. He says, when you pray, go into the side of your closet and pray in secret, and God will reward you openly. Now, that's called private prayer. Jesus talked about private prayer, and that's something that you and I should be doing continuously. That's something that we can be doing daily. That's something that we can be doing at different times during the day. We can be praying, you know, set aside a time. We can be making a prayer when I'm driving down the road and I see a need. I hear, see the ambulance go by and I say, Lord, be with the people that are in that ambulance. Be, you know, I mean, we can be praying like that. But then there's a time, and we read it in the scriptures, that we come together as believers. 
I'm currently reading the book of Acts. You know what I notice about that book? Every chapter, somebody's praying, and they're usually praying together. It's really amazing. The church, the New Testament church, were taught to pray specifically apart, but they were also taught to pray together. And there's something that happens. Our prayers change when we pray together because it's no longer just about my needs or the needs of those closest to me. Now we begin to pray even for people we don't even know. Isn't that amazing? As a matter of fact, we're going to look at a letter that Paul wrote to a bunch of people he had never met. How many think that's interesting? He's writing to people he has never met. He's going to speak into their lives and he's telling them in this letter that he's been praying for them. I think the true sign of a Christian is when you and I start praying for people we don't even know. We've never met. And then one day, all of a sudden, we get to heaven. And this is amazing to me. And somebody walks up and says, thank you for praying for me. And you say to them, I've never met you. I know, but during one of those prayer meetings back then, somebody brought your name to the congregation and you began to pray. And God heard your prayer for me. You see, it transpired. You know, our praying can really move beyond the limited little sphere of the world in which we are living in. Do you realize that right now we can be praying for people in India or Africa? We can be praying right around the world and God can be hearing our prayer and doing incredible things. The other day I was talking to Dr. Thomas, he'll be here in a few weeks, and we were chatting and he said, Paul, I've been praying for you and Patty and your family every day, and I've been praying for your staff, and I've been praying for the staffing of the church. And I'm saying, wow, it's so neat because some of God's answers to prayer, like having Mark and Anna join our staff, I believe that was an answer to prayer from people who were praying for us in India. Isn't that amazing that people around the world can be helping each other with their prayers, even though they are not personally here? It's really powerful. You know... I believe that praying is the most profound thing that you and I can do for other people. Tomorrow begins a few days of prayer and fasting in the church, and some of you are going, why? You know, it's part of our church culture. Anybody notice that, you know, every three or four months we have three days of prayer and fasting? Anybody notice that? Do you know most churches don't do this? How many actually know that's true? Most churches don't do this. But you go, why do you guys do this? Why should we take these three nights to spend time together praying and fasting? Because I believe, just like you take your vehicle in to get service periodically to make it move and work more effectively and efficiently, I believe it's so critical that you and I actually have spiritual tune-ups. That you and I take a break from our busy, hectic daily lives where we become frayed and frazzled and the burdens and the issues of life come screaming into our lives and we take time out. Even though we're in great demand. Actually, Martin Luther said when he had more things to do, he would pray more. Because there's something about prayer that changes what is about to happen in our lives. And it changes our priorities, changes our attitudes, It actually lifts the burdens that we're carrying. And some of us in this room, we're we're dealing with all kinds of stuff. We're struggling in maybe a relationship with another person. Maybe we're we're in crisis, uh, you know, with a lot lot of elements in our life, from financial pressures to what the future holds to, you know, someone's, you know, dealing with the loss of a loved one. We could just keep going down the list. It's just amazing how many needs are represented in this congregation. But for most of us in this room, we're fully unaware of what most people are experiencing. But when you come together and you start praying, 
something powerful begins to happen. Because when people pray, no longer, it, it, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how much you know of the Bible at that point. Because at the moment of prayer, everybody's equal. We open our soul to God and we begin to realize that we're all weak. We're all human. We're all inadequate. We're all insufficient. And as we begin to petition God together, something powerful begins to happen. We're drawn to each other. Because, you know, people do not identify with each other in their strengths. People identify with each other in their weaknesses. And any time you've listened to somebody and they begin to share that they don't have it all together and they're a fellow struggler, immediately our hearts go, I like that person. I can relate to them. You know, but if we see these people that are superstars that never have a problem, you just go, wow, I really admire them, but I can't relate to them. But the moment they share a struggle, you go, oh, they're just a regular human being just like me. And immediately our hearts are drawn to that person. And I believe that that's so powerful. That's why God designed it this way so that you and I would learn to pray with each other. There may be other things that we could or shouldn't do, but let me just say this. Our praying uh, needs to be enlarged until we begin to pray for those around us. You know, so often we start out, we pray for ourselves. But as we mature, we start praying for other people. And, and then we start seeing that people are struggling around us. What were we really reminded in the last week how fragile life really was, you know, about that accident in Humboldt? And isn't it amazing that all of these strong personalities and everybody's got their life together, but all of a sudden now the nation stops, there's a collective sigh, And then you hear conversation like, our thoughts and prayers are with you. You know, this is a secular country, but all of a sudden prayer becomes a high point. Because you know what? We all realize at that moment that common enemy called death, that tragedy, all of a sudden is impacting, and we know that that could be us. And a lot of times when life is moving so smoothly, we don't even see our need for prayer. But the moment crisis comes, immediately we remember how desperately we need God in our lives. Well, there may be many other things we could or should do, but we must begin in prayer. It's in that place of prayer that we can bring some of these situations before God that only God can address. Do you know, I notice one thing, only God can change the human heart. He's the only one. You know, when we're having difficulty in relationships, I'm going to tell you right now, It's not about how good of a communicator we are. It's about the condition of our heart. When our heart is in the right place, anything can happen. But most of the time, our hearts are in the wrong place. Most of the time, we have broken hearts. We have hard hearts rather than tender, loving, forgiving hearts. Isn't that true? And resentment builds up. There's anger and all kinds of issues in our soul. But isn't it amazing when the Spirit of God comes on us how He can transform our hearts and change our thinking and our attitude. And it's amazing when forgiveness is granted, the true forgiveness that really brings about healing in relationships, you know, or or whatever the other situation is in our lives. I love the story that Nancy Orgberg shares of how her daughter came back from an evening church service. And she said to her mother, uh, she said, help me not to be okay just because everything is okay with me. That's a very powerful statement. Because a lot of times, the reason why we don't feel the need for prayer is because things are going okay for us, but people right beside us are crying. But we're indifferent to it. In community, if somebody else is not okay, then to some degree, I am not okay. 
I like that. And it is the truth. Unless we develop a broader mindset, a new outlook that embraces those around us, we will never become the person God designed for us to become. We will become less than what God intended. God wants to expand you and me. He wants us to move beyond ourselves and to our lives mature and grow and expands into the lives of other people. And prayer is a key component of it. You know, I was reading a story of a man. His friend was a Mountie, and he was up in the Northwest Territories. And up there, you know, they have a lot of dog sleds. And he was sharing the time when he was, there was a crazy rabbit wolf, you know, sick wolf that came and he attacked the dog teams. And the dog teams were staked out in such a way that they weren't close enough to each other so they couldn't, you know, hurt each other. But the problem was, in a sense, they were in isolation. And that wolf created so much damage, killing dogs and wounding others. But had they been close enough to each other, they could have fended off that wolf. And isn't that true in in our lives? So often it's a picture, I think, of every Christian not only belonging to a body of believers, but to move past the feeling of isolation and band together, praying for one another. As you know, solitary Christians present themselves as a much easier prey for the designs of the enemy. And I think we need to understand something. The moment I give my life to Christ, I'm part of God's army. We're in a warfare. And we have an adversary. And he's out to do one thing, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's doing a good job of it in our country today. There's a lot of carnage that we're witnessing. So, real change always begins with ourselves. How many say that's probably true? Real change. You know what's going to change our country? We think, well, you know, if we just got a different leader... If we just had a different party. That's how we sometimes think in the broader scope of things. I don't think that's what really God is interested in. You know, my prayer is that our leaders would change and become the people God's called them to be. That's what needs to happen. I've thought of of it. Wouldn't it be awesome if some of the leaders got up and said, you know what, we were totally wrong in this, and we recognize that what we've been doing is perpetrating evil, and we ask our constituents to forgive us, and we're going to do what's right. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be a miracle. You go, that's to be a miracle, Pastor. That starts with a change of heart. But wouldn't it even be a greater miracle if you and I, you know, came before Almighty God and I'm going to do this tomorrow night and people that are going to come, I'm leading the service, I'm going to say that there's a lot of things inside of us we don't even know or are aware of within us. And we pray this prayer, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And allow the Spirit of God to speak into our lives and to bring about transformation into our hearts so that it impacts the way I relate to other people and it allows God to begin to direct my steps so that I end up fulfilling God's will in whatever sphere God leads me into, that I'm the right kind of a person. Well, here we find Paul you know, praying to people he had never personally met, which is interesting. And I want you to look at this prayer for a moment. We're going to look at just two things about how Paul prayed for the Colossians. And I think we can learn, first of all, what we should pray for and then how we should pray. Very simple message. So what are we to pray for? Well, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, notice he doesn't know them, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. How many think that's pretty impressive? Here's a man who hears about people who've come to Christ and immediately starts praying for these people he does never met. That tells me something about the Apostle Paul, does it not? He's concerned about other people. 
He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. I love that prayer. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Wouldn't it be great? You know, sometimes we don't come to a prayer meeting and we don't know how to pray because we don't know what to pray for. Here is an amazing petition that we would start thinking about the people around us and we start praying, Lord, help them to be filled with the knowledge of your will. With all, uh, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's his prayer for these guys. That they might know the Father's will. Ken Hughes says it's significant that Paul prayed for the Colossians that they would have this kind of knowledge because they were under siege by people who told them they didn't have enough knowledge. But they were the Gnostics. And he said the Gnostics were teaching that Christ was a good place to begin but that there was so much more they could know and experience if only they could incorporate the Gnostic system of passwords, rites, and initiations. Excuse me. Their superior know-it-all air was intimidating and some of the Colossians were made to feel that they were lacking. I want to just encourage us. There were so many books, ideas, theological ideas that tell you you just need a little bit extra, a little bit more. If you just did this, you're going to be okay. But it's all adding on to what Christ has already done. Do you know how simple the gospel is? When I put my trust in Jesus Christ, who did everything for me, and allow his life to rule and reign within me, then he starts ruling, then eventually he starts living through me. The Christian life is not me doing something for Christ. The Christian life is Christ living through me. That's simple, isn't it? I just have to allow him to do it. I just have to trust him to do it. So it's not adding on to a whole bunch of things. It's just simply trusting Christ. Let's just keep it that simple. That's what it's all about. As a matter of fact, I think it's interesting that Jesus told his early followers that it was important that he leave earth. As a matter of fact, I thought about this. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could get into a time capsule and go back into the past and actually know the language of Jesus' day? Because this wouldn't work if you just knew English. And all of a sudden you show up in the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is talking at the Sea of Galilee and he's talking in Aramaic. It's just not going to be the same. I mean, you're going to go, I don't know what he's saying. Right? You'd have to have a translator. But here's my point. Wouldn't it be amazing if you just came into the garb of the time and knew the language of the time, you got deposited? There's Jesus teaching. And then you say, hey, Jesus, can I hang with you today? Say, yeah, come on. Can you imagine the early disciples? They get up every morning and go, hey, just keep following Jesus. You never know what's going to happen. He's the guy that turns water into wine. He's walking on the water one minute. There's people that are coming back from the dead. I mean, things happen around Jesus. Isn't that the truth? And isn't it kind of an exciting to be a follower of Christ? But Jesus said something very interesting in John's Gospel, chapter 16. He says, this is in the upper room, just before he dies. He says, I tell you the truth, it is good that I'm going away. It's good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, that's an English translation. The word counselor is another comforter. It's actually, it's God the Holy Spirit. It's the third person in the Trinity that's going to come. And what makes this even more dynamic and exciting was you and I have a great advantage over the early disciples. You go, really? I mean, man, they hung with Jesus. I mean, they saw all these awesome deeds. I said, yeah, that's great. But think about it. Jesus was actually God who limited himself to one time and one space and one body. So whenever they went away from where Jesus was physically, they were on their own. 
How many recognize that? That's a problem. But Jesus says, listen, I'm about to do something so amazing. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and He's going to live inside of you. God is going to come inside of you so that wherever you go, God goes with you. And Jesus could say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wow! And that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us. That same power over death lives inside of us. And the things that Jesus did, He said, even these things you'll be able to do. We just don't believe it. We don't ask for it. We don't pray for it. We don't sense that God can do these things. But I think it starts with, God, what do you want me to do today? You see, I don't think it's just, you know, we're here to to do the spectacular and say, I'm a super saint. I can do all these miracles. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's getting down on our knees and saying, God, what do you want me to do today? And I want to be sensitive to you. And I want to hear what people are saying. But most of all, I want to hear what you're saying. And I want to do your will. See that beautiful prayer that they would have the knowledge of his will. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. How many know people do not like having their sin exposed? People do not want to be shamed. Isn't that true? We all feel that way. But here's the deal. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict us. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, people are going to see that they're coming up short. And there's a reason why people hated Jesus. How many liked, you know, how many like growing up with Jesus? You know, his stepbrothers were growing up with him. Mary Joseph would say, "Why can't you just be a little more like Jesus?" <laughs> Can you imagine? Sinless, right? I wish you were more like Jesus. That's pretty hard to be, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it takes supernatural help to be like Jesus, folks. You just can't do this on your own. Nor can I. It takes the Spirit of God living inside of us. It takes Jesus inside of us to be like Jesus. That's what we're saying here. And then it says, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can hear now bear, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. All that belongs to the Father's mind, that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I love that. Father, help me to understand your word. How many people when you're reading your Bible go, I just don't get this. Here's how you need to start reading. Father, your word says that you're going to take what is yours and show me what it means. Please do that. Isn't that amazing when the Spirit of God starts downloading stuff? That's an amazing experience. And even though we cannot see the Holy Spirit, His work within us becomes evident as our attitudes are changed. I can tell when people are growing in their faith. I can tell when people are Christians just by what happens inside of them. Their thinking changes. Their attitude changes. You know, all of a sudden they have new concerns. You know, before they were focused in on, you know, personal earthly interest. All of a sudden now they've lose, they lose the attachment to the things that society are interested in. All of a sudden they have different concerns. They're concerned about other people. They're concerned about people's spiritual well-being. They're concerned about people's eternal well-being. They're concerned about all kinds of things. And it's all of a sudden we get concerned about the things that concern the heart of God. We're concerned about people being exploited. We're concerned about the things that God loves. We want people to love the things that God loves. And God actually hates some things. How many know that? God hates it when people are being exploited and abused. God hates that stuff. God hates injustice in our world. He does hate that. And you and I should feel the same way and have, you know, a a deep concern. But so often what happens is we become indifferent and apathetic. Come on. Apathetic. You know that Greek A, Jonathan, you were in Greek class with me. That means you're negating pathic. 
the pathos is emotion. You have no feeling. You have no concern. We're apathetic. That means you have no concern. There's no feeling. God, deliver me from that. I want to be a person that has concern for the things that concern the heart of God. I want to cry over the things that God is crying about. I want to rejoice over the things God is rejoicing about. That's the work of the Spirit in the human heart. Not only did Paul pray for knowledge, but he prayed that they would discover God's will. You know, you ever, ever read scriptures that talk about God's will? It's really interesting. You know, we stop focusing on ourselves, right? As a matter of fact, we start looking around for ways to help other people. This is what God's will is. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Am I concerned about people's eternal salvation? Pastor, I don't even know what to say to them. If you're concerned enough for people, I, I, I can guarantee you, when you start getting deeply concerned and start crying for people's souls, you're going to figure out what to say to them. You'll say, I don't know a lot, but I know this much. I was lost, but now I'm found. I came to Jesus. He changed my life. You've got to believe in him. That's the gospel. You know, He died for you. You know, These are all expressions of God's work in our life. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, can you imagine a culture like ours? You know what we're doing today? We're legitimatizing that which is immoral and illegal. And we're thinking, oh, this is going to be fine. We don't know how to handle that which is illegal and immoral. And so we just le- we legalize it. Do you know they've discovered that the human brain does not develop its executive abilities until the age of 25? So when a teenager, when you ask the teenager, why did you do it? They'll say, I don't know. They're probably telling you the truth. They don't know. Think about that. So what are we going to do? We're going to legalize marijuana in our country. And think about what it's going to do. It's going to destroy the ability to make executive decisions. We're going to have a lot of underdeveloped people. And they've studied this and they know this to be true. It's sad. Don't be overcome with narcotics and drugs and alcohol so your brain can't function. You're not under control. That You're under the control of a substance. Rather be full of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God which produces self-control. It's amazing. You know what? Our culture today is so broken. We have more you know, problems with mental illness than ever before. And yet when I read Deuteronomy 28, God says, I'm not going to allow your mind to be broken like that. And yet our culture is just being fragmented. And so what are we doing? We're normalizing it. It's okay. I'm saying it's not healthy. You know, no, we should be empathetic. Yes, we should be understanding. Yes, we need to be compassionate. But that's not normal. That's not what God's normal is. God has a totally different normal than that. God wants to bring healing to the brokenhearted. God wants to renew our minds and our hearts. God wants to set us free from these things that are tormenting us as believers. But how does that come about? When we cry out to God. When we begin to seek the face of God. Here's another one. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. In other words, you should be holy. You should be set apart. You should be, your body's not even your own. When you're a child of God, this body is designed to bring glory to God, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Isn't that interesting? And yet we're living in a highly sexually promiscuous culture. And we think it's okay. Let me tell you something. It's not okay. It's a violation of God's design for our lives. 
I could just go down. It's, you know, it's so simple for somebody that's got their head in the Scriptures all the time. You just see it so clearly. And our culture is so confused. I remember growing up as a young person. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I was so confused. People were telling me this is right. Other people were telling me, no, that's okay. You can do that. I was confused between right and wrong. Anybody else have that problem? Confused between right and wrong? I was. But I'll tell you one thing. When I gave my life to Christ and I got into the Word of God, it became very clear in a hurry. The Bible is a very clear blueprint of how you and I need to live. And I'm going to just declare to you right now, I'm making it known to you, God's blueprint is amazing. God's blueprint will help you live a successful and a prosperous life. But you know, a lot of us, we just do our own thing. And then we suffer and then we blame God. That doesn't work, folks. really doesn't. But let me move on to the second thing we can learn from Paul's prayer. Is the reason for the prayer. In other words, why this particular prayer? Paul says that, that it's in order to please God. I love that. Look what it says. He prays this prayer, verse 10, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Isn't that why you're designed by God? Isn't that why you're on this planet? You were designed to bring glory to God. You were designed to live a life pleasing to God. Why do people do the wrong thing? So often it's because they're insecure. They have no sense of who they are and their identity. They're trying to fit in and, you know, be a part of the crowd. Well, hey, if everyone's going to go to hell, why would I want to join that crowd? You know, I don't want to have a herd mentality, you know, because Native Americans would take a buffalo herd and ram it right over side of a cliff. Why would I want to join those guys heading over the cliff? And that's where our culture's at today. I just shared this illustration in the first service. I don't normally do this, but when Rachel, our youngest daughter, was about 12 years old, maybe 11, or maybe that's about the right age, she went over to one of her friend's place. These people weren't Christian. And we had told her, we have a standard for what you can watch on TV. So they said, hey, Rachel, come on over. We're going to watch this movie. She says, what is it rated? Can't watch it. My mom and dad wouldn't like that. We don't watch those kind of movies. They'll never know, Rachel. She goes, I know. I'm not doing it. Why did she feel that way? Because she was more concerned about pleasing her father and her mother than she was about conforming to where her friends were at. You know how I know about this story? Because the mother came over to Patty, my wife, and said, you'd be so proud of your daughter. You know what happened as a result of that little thing? This is what Rachel said to them. Hey, if you want to watch the movie, go ahead. I'll go do something else. They said, nah, we won't watch the movie. What do you want to do? And they went and did something different. You see, we're so fearful that we won't have friends that we're willing to compromise who we are. Now think about what Jesus. Jesus is being baptized, and the Father says from heaven... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then the next verses, both in Luke and Matthew, say this. And then the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested or tempted by the devil. Remember that? And the devil came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. After not eating for 40 days, that was a real temptation. But notice the temptation, if you are the Son of God. Jesus goes, I know who I am. I don't need to prove anything. When you are a secure person, you can say no to what's wrong. And when you're 
when you're insecure and you have no sense of identity, you succumb to the temptation. Boom, just like that. What motivates us to live the right kind of life? You know, I think a lot of people think Christianity is a bunch of rules, the do's and the don'ts. Can I just dispel that for a minute and just say this about obedience and love? What motivates people to sacrifice and give themselves for others is love. True? It's the truth. When we know we are loved, we'll give back in extraordinary ways. That's why keeping rules doesn't cut it, but relationships bring out the best in us. You know, it's so interesting when I'm around my daughters. If they say to me, Dad, I need this, I go, it's my joy. If it's a real need, I go, I'm happy to meet that. Even if it's at my personal expense, I'll meet that need. And I'm not going to do that because, oh, I'm just trying to, you know, be a good guy. No, I want to do it. I delight in doing it. And you know what it shows me? That's the heart of our Father in heaven. Our Father is so loving that He wants to bless us, but half the time He can't bless us because we're so messed up. If He gave us what we re- you know, wanted, it would destroy us. So God has to hold back some things. You know, the issue isn't so much, you know, can we trust God sometimes? Sometimes the issue is can God trust us? Because we're too messed up. It'll hurt us. Isn't that true? It is. But if you have the kind of heart that says, God, I just want to do your will, God says, okay, I can trust you with all kinds of stuff. And that's, what, that's the place we want to get to. You know, I remember reading this uh, fellow by the name of William Manchester who wrote a book called Goodbye Darkness. And he had won a purple heart at Okinawa, which was during the Second World War. Very, you know, I've been reading that conflict in the Pacific and very brutal conflict. You know what he said in this book? He said, I remember now, he said, jumping from my hospital bed. He had been wounded in battle 35 years ago, in violation of orders, returning to the front, jeopardizing my life because I loved the men I was with. And I thought to myself, I cannot let these guys down. If something happened to one of them because I wasn't there, I would never be able to live it myself. And then he said, I had that epiphany moment and I realized... That men, I now know, do not fight for flag or country, for the Marine Corps or glory or for any other abstraction. They fight for one another. Isn't that powerful? See, we need to understand something. Love is the most powerful motivating force on this planet. And when you and I really love God, we really want to please Him. We're going to do what He tells us to do. Just like Rachel did. She knew what was right. She knew what was wrong. She said, I'm not going to do it. That's it. You know, isn't that a great motivating force? Love can motivate us to do the right thing. Polycarp, who was an early church leader, who was being asked to renounce Christ. He was a leader in the church in Smyrna. And he said this, 80 and six years I have served him. And he never did me wrong. And how can I now blaspheme my king that saved me? And he wouldn't do it. And they killed him. And you know, the early church's attitude about being martyred was really interesting. They thought it was a privilege, one of the highest privileges that they could actually lay down their lives even as God had laid down his life for us. That's a little foreign to our way of thinking in this culture, isn't it? And yet, Patty was reading something just the other day to me about some of the people in parts of the world that are being deeply persecuted, that that's their attitude. They're prepared to die. And we've actually got some missionaries that we support. They're prepared to die. 
And one of the reasons why one of these individuals that became a Christian, one of the leaders in one of these countries, and he said, you know, I could have you arrested and put to death. And he said, yeah, I know you could. He said, then why are you willing to jeopardize your life bringing us this message? And he said, that's because Christ died for you out of a deep love. And he said, if he's willing to do that, then I should be willing to lay down my life in order to bring that message to you. And you know what the result was? The man gave his life to Christ. Because when people are willing to lay down their life for other people, now the reality of the message becomes real. And so often we distort the message in North America because we're so caught up in ourselves, And we're so caught up in our own woundedness and brokenness. And we're so broken that we have all these relationships fragmenting around us. And it's the very antithesis or the opposite of what the Christian message is. It's a message of reconciliation. Think about that. And so what needs to change? What needs to change in my life, Pastor? Our heart. Our heart needs to change. And how does your heart change? You have to have an encounter with God. And how do you have this encounter with God? You need to seek His face. You need to pray and connect with Him. Another reason why we must pray this prayer is that there's a need for continued growth in our lives. How many know that that's true? We need to keep growing. Listen to the end of his prayer here in verse uh, 11. It says here, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Do you know what the difference between endurance and patience is? Endurance has to do with being able to handle adverse circumstances. Patience has to uh, deal with the ability to deal with difficult people. We are an impatient culture. We are not very patient with each other. We don't know how to put up with anything. Isn't that true? Come on. Yeah, let's be honest. We are impatient, and it reflects in how we treat each other. You know, we need to be far more loving, far more concerned, far more considerate. Then there's always a temptation that we just can't endure. You know, we're actually quite a weak culture. You know, when history looks back on this generation, you know what they're going to say? Bunch of wimps. I'm serious. They all thought that they were entitled. They were all babies. They were always whining and crying. This is this culture. I'm being frank about it. It's, that's the way it is. Own up. I live in this culture. What's wrong with us? Listen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And where do we get that joy from? Being in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. You know, Eugene Peterson translates the Bible. He, he wanted to make it so that it would hit us in our 21st century. So he's translating the Greek words into contemporary language. That's what he writes regarding hanging in there during difficult times. And he's quoting from Hebrews, from the message in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Some translations say the author and the finisher of our faith, but he just translates it this way. He says, you know what? He's run the race we're running. Jesus came before us. He ran the Christian life. And all these 20 centuries now, we've had Christians following in that race. And some of them completed it beautifully. He says, study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. In other words, he knew what he was running for. He knew where the goal was. He knew where he was headed. 
You know, sometimes you have to do this to yourself. You have to sit at yourself and say, okay, what's the last day of my life going to be? I'm ready now to step into eternity. I'm ready to meet God. What do I want to be on the other side of eternity? What do I want God to say to me? You know, well done. I'm pleased with you. Or, wow, what a wimp. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want that. Right? Don't tell me that, Lord. Okay. And now he's, now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside of God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over the story again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility you plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Isn't that carry? He's saying, hey, this is going to pep you up. You know how faith comes? By hearing God's word. It, you know, start reading the Bible. It'll do something for you. In this all-out match against sins, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourself. In other words, don't have a pity party. Anybody ever have a pity party? I used to have a lot of them when I was a newer Christian. And then I, I, I finally realized something. The devil was sitting there pouring the tea. Keep her going, you know. Oh, woe is me. You know, when I start to even get close to that feeling, I go, I'm not going. I know where this is headed. This is not a good place, you know. So the other day I had a little disappointment in my life. And, you know, I got to handle this, right? So I got to start talking to myself because the greatest sermons I preach are to myself. So I'm saying to myself, hey, listen, buddy. All things work together for good. The other part of me goes, I can't see the good that's going to come out of this, right? You don't know everything. That is true. I don't know everything. You know, a couple of days later, I have another scripture popping in my mind. In everything give thanks. It doesn't say for everything. It just says in everything. So then I start saying, okay, God, I'm going to start thanking. No idea what's going to happen here, but I'm just going to start thanking you. And you know, that's, keep, that's giving me an equilibrium not to allow disappointment to overshadow. Because you know, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? So how do you handle disappointment? Are we going to have disappointments in life? Yes. Totally. Are we going to let those disappointments define our life? No. no. Can't afford that. So you've got to talk to yourself. But let me close with this. You know, time just always runs out when I'm preaching. What can I say? <laughs> I want to close with a story. How many of you can't even imagine following a leader like Hudson Taylor? Some of you know this name. He's a great missionary, went to China. Following in the, behind a person like that to be the next leader. How many of you go, that's kind of almost impossible. That's difficult. I bet you you don't even know the name of the guy that followed him. Either do I, to be honest. I just saw his name here, so that's why it helps. But his name was D.E. Host. And D.E. Host wrote a book called Beyond the Ranges. And in that book, he's ministering to these Chinese people in a certain district of China, but he's also responsible for another group of people on the other side of the mountain range. That's where the book is called Beyond the Ranges. So he's... You know, he's ministering, he's teaching, he's working with these people, and they're having all their normal struggles. I mean, when you're a pastor, you're just dealing with people, all the normal stuff. And these people, he'd go over and visit once in a while just to see how they were doing because he had brought the gospel there. And they're thriving. They're doing so good. And he's thinking, I'm working hard with these guys, and these guys are doing better without me than the guys that are with me. How many know that just kind of destroys a little ego, right? And he's going, I don't get this, God. What in the world's going on? And the Spirit of God said to him, but what are you doing for the people beyond the ranges? He says, well, I'm praying for them. 
And he said, that's it. He would spend so much more time praying for the people he wasn't with than the people he was with. They were thriving and they were still struggling. What is he trying to teach us? He said, what I discovered in ministry was there's four elements to success. And in this order, prayer, 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 the word. Isn't that interesting? Years ago, I remember reading this little quote. I've never forgotten it. When you and I work, we work. But when you and I pray, God works. How many say, you know what? I have a situation, Pastor, God needs to work in. I can't do it. I've been trying. I've been working. But it's not changing. You know, in the next three nights, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And what's going to happen? God is going to work. God is going to work. Let's stand. You know, I know we have very busy lives, very demanding lives, but how many here would say, you know what? I have challenges in my life. And the only way things are going to change is if I start praying. And I see that this morning. God's Spirit has been speaking to you. He's challenging us this morning, just with every head bowed right now. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. You could stay home. I've always heard these. Well, I'll be praying at home, Pastor. Not the same. Not the same, guys. I'm sorry. You know, it's just like people could say to me, I don't need to go to church. I just listen to podcasts. Not the same. How many know that's not the same? You can listen, but you, you lose the worship dynamic, you lose the fellowship, and then there's the work of the Spirit at this moment. You just don't pick up in the podcast. But right now, you're here. I'm going to challenge you to come one night out of three to pray. How many say, you know what? I'm going to do that. One, at least, minimum, one night out of three to pray. Raise your hand. That's you. You can do it. You can do it. You might have to change your schedule. Maybe some of you think it's impossible, but Hey, listen, I'm challenging you. Let God do a work in and through you. We need a miracle. And I'm going to say this to us. A lot of us, I know in my life things are going good, but I know I'm I'm just a breath away from crisis. And that's true of all of our lives. We're a breath away from it. Do you think those young people riding that bus, that hockey team heading to the next game, had any idea that their whole life would change? Do you think those families now thought, that's not going to happen to us. But it did. And you know, in about a month or two from now, when the country forgets about these people, some people's lives have forever been changed. They can never forget. Because it happened to them. Isn't that true? Folks, we are human. We are inadequate. And we are insufficient. Instead of getting upset about it, just say, Lord, I accept that. You're just teaching me, I need to seek you. I need to pray. I need you in my life. Let's pray. So Lord, I just ask today that you would help us realize our great need for you. Prayer is one of the deepest expressions of humility and dependency and a recognition that we can only do very little. We need you, Father, to bring about the change in our lives and in the lives of others. And so we come to you today asking you to give us a heart to seek your face continuously. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.